It is the Ringer NFL Show, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Today, Noah Princiati joins me to discuss the Cleveland Browns making the playoffs for the first time in 18 years, the Miami Dolphins flopping in their opportunity to make the playoffs, and for the first time, people are worried about the competitive integrity of the NFC East. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Nor the playoffs to hear the schedule's out. The schedule's out. I am ready for some playoff football team football in prime time. This is a wild time in football. Chris Collinsworth is openly revolting against the Eagles. Doug Peterson just had to say, I don't think there will be any issue with our culture moving forward because he played Nate Sudfeld. How bad do you feel for Nate Sudfeld that he was so bad and is such a bad player that Doug Peterson had to say he won't playing him won't affect our culture. People should be nice to Nate Sudfeld. He's a wonderful man. I, he did nothing I wrong. Covered, I covered him very briefly in Washington, and he was so lovely that I, I remember talking to him on a cut day, and he just said something so earnest, like, I just wish everybody could stay. And I was a Nate Sudfeld fan for life at that point. This game, this outcome, the end of this week 17, that was crazy, and we'll get to all of it. It felt like they let the 2020 writers come back and write like yeah. a reunion special. And we all watched it on our televisions. It's interesting to me that Nate Sudfeld said to you, I wish everyone could stay because no one said that watching the football team play the Eagles tonight. No one looked at this and said, let's keep this together. So everybody hated that game. We're going to get to it. A lot of talk about tanking, a lot of talk about culture, all that stuff. That's coming later. Let's get you the playoff schedule just so everybody knows going into it. Colts at Bills on Saturday, 105 Eastern Time on CBS. Rams at Seahawks, 440 Eastern Time on Fox. Bucks at Football Team, 815 Eastern Time on NBC. On Sunday, Ravens at Titans, 105 on ESPN and ABC. Bears at Saints, 440 Eastern Time on CBS and Nickelodeon, obviously. Browns at Steelers, 815 on NBC. And the overall seating in the AFC. Chiefs one, Bills two, Steelers three, Titans four, Ravens five, Browns six, Colts seven. You can figure that out from some of the matchups, but that's the order. And then <laughs> NFC, Packers, Saints, Seahawks, football team, Bucks, Rams, Bears. We're finally here. Browns 24, Pittsburgh Steelers 22. It's our first winner. The Browns are in the playoffs for the first time since 2002. What were you doing in 2002? Uh, I was absolutely crushing second grade mm. is what was going on then. Mm. I think you just depressed a lot of our listeners. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. We'll leave it at that. I we'll don't leave it at that. We'll let that hang. We'll let that hang there for a while. So the Browns. Well, or no, we can just well, lean oh, into oh. it. So Let's the year not. of my birth was the year of the last Browns playoff victory. Coached by, Coached Bill, by Belichick. Bill, Bill Belichick. Who you've been covering as a journalist. Good year. Fantastic. And it, um, and it all comes okay. full circle with the Browns. It all comes full circle. Now we have to talk about the Patriots for 30 minutes. Okay. All right. No, <laughs> we will talk about the Browns who beat 
uh, let's let's be clear. We're we're going to give a lot of credit to the Browns here, but they beat the the, the Steelers JV team here today. Uh, Mason Rudolph, twenty two of thirty nine, three hundred fifteen yards. Nick Chubb, star of the game, fourteen carries, hundred eight yards. Baker Mayfield gets the game ceiling scramble, I guess you could say. Uh, Cream Hunt threw a great block. Uh, a lot to like about this Browns performance. They didn't make it easy. Uh, I, there was essentially a 15-minute heart attack that every Browns fan had at the end of the game. Uh, whether that was the Steelers coming down to score, a, a, a failed two-point conversion that could have been a penalty, maybe if if a, if a ref saw something. Uh, and then the strange onside kick that was trapped between the legs compared on the broadcast to, to a shortstop, not really getting the hop there. Uh, right. That looked like it could have been caught by the Steelers or... or recovered by the Steelers. Uh, but in the end, the Browns do it. And for the first time in 18 years, they're headed to the playoffs. There's a lot to get to as far as what this means for the franchise. Okay. Kevin Stefanski comes in. I was looking at the Browns coaching register, I guess you could say, and his 11 wins were more than seven full-time coaches in Cleveland had in their entire tenure. Okay. And that was just this year. Obviously, Stefanski got, uh, arrived a year ago this week, I think. And only Romeo, Cornell, and Butch Davis won more games in their entire tenure than Stefanski has this year. This is unbelievable, okay? And I think that there were people, I tweeted that out earlier today, and there were people who were saying, oh, why is the bar so low for Cleveland? Let's let Cleveland have this, okay? Like, this is not, yep. this is not the Niners. This is not the, the Giants. This is not the Patriots. This is, there's no history of greatness with the New Browns. There, there is, in, 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 you know, in, in the past life with, with their old franchise. But let's let the New Browns have this for a second. Before we get into the big picture implications of all of this, what do we learn, Nora? Well, we learned that when they win, it's because they understand who they are. And I think that's what Stefanski's done such yeah. a good job of is just figuring out what they're good at and working with that. They so when the the Browns play the Steelers in the wild card round, it'll be their third, it'll be the third rematch of this, yes. or the second rematch, I guess, but the third time these teams meet. And the first one was week six where the Steelers just absolutely blew out the Browns. And that was a game where they didn't have Nick Chubb. A lot of different things going wrong. And that game was a while ago. We don't have to read too, too much into that. But it's really, really, really clear what works for this Browns team, which is when they use the running backs a ton, when they have that going, when they get Baker moving, I don't think it's an accident that he kind of sealed this game, getting on the move, using his legs a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's what works. And they've kept it simple and succeeded by doing that. That's the kind of way that you win 11 games in your first year when they have that kind of history. So I think it's the same thing. The Steelers team, certainly that they'll play next weekend, not looking like the team that blew the Browns out and that that goes beyond resting some of the starters here. So that to me is a really interesting matchup, but with the Browns, it's pretty simple. It's just if they can keep Baker protected, which they've been able to do, and rely on the running game a lot. And I think that's that's tough against the Steelers defense, but I certainly think it'll be more of a game than we saw early in the season between these two teams. The Browns have an identity, and that's important because the Browns have had an identity in the past, but you don't want to know what that was. Okay, It was really <laughs> bad. Uh, right now, Kevin Stefanski is doing two things well. Number one, he's doing the outside zone stuff really well. We we, we know that that's his bread and butter. That was if you'd if you'd said last January, what is he going to do well in Cleveland? It would be that okay, building around the running game, bootlegs, getting Baker on the run uh, when he does pass it, and then 
PFF had a great number, which is essentially that Stefanski is getting Mayfield in position to throw to his first read all the time. Um, at this point, uh, his first read passes are 70%. Um, that's among the highest in the league. That's really good. And it, it's, it's speeding up Baker's decision-making. This is about, th- this is, and there are four five, six, seven teams like this. So let's not act like other teams aren't doing it. But when, when teams see what Kevin Stefanski has done to make Baker Mayfield's life easier, they should be wondering why their team isn't doing it. And I, I just think when I look at this Browns team, I just see a lot of good things and, and the way that they've changed this culture um, has actually been, been pretty interesting. Um, Mayfield has done a good job of getting better. as The season goes along. I was playing around with the pressure numbers earlier today. And the big book on Mayfield was that under pressure, he can't play, you know, and if he's kept upright, whatever. And that was true. That was so unbelievably true for the first half of this year. And, and particularly in the first month of the season. And it was a take that I had in my back pocket and, and I, I kind of felt like it was, it was, it was going to be, it was just the book on Baker for, from now on. Right. Like I thought I was like, okay, well, I'm going to you know, reheat this take in January. Baker can't play under pressure. Well, here's what's happening. Okay. First part of this season, first half of this season, according to PFF, according to their database, I was doing a little searching. His passer rating under pressure was 29. Not good. Well, in the second half, it's 65, which obviously, if you're just hearing it, it sounds bad. But that's actually middle of the pack. Um, better than Goff, who is also bad under pressure. Uh, better than Tom Brady. Better than Ben, ben Roethlisberger, the Roethlisberger thing. You know, that's that's a separate category. Sure. By the way, Drew Locke, second half of the season, 17 passer rating under pressure. Not what you want. Anyway, the fact that these teams we'll played earlier in the season and the, the Steelers won 38-7, to to me, I'm intrigued to see next week because I think the Steelers win this game, but I think that this Browns team has gotten significantly better since then. I feel like Kevin Stefanski, who, by the way, was able to do all of this stuff with no training camp, with no, or a shortened training camp, no OTAs, no offseason, didn't even meet his players until August. The fact that he's able to get this team to improve this much in a short period of time is a testament to everybody in Cleveland. I, I love what they've done. I don't think they have... They, they have what it takes to win next week. Uh, but I don't think that we should just sit here for the first time. No, it's been 18 years since we've sat here on a week 17 Sunday and saying the Browns are going to the playoffs. I don't want this season to feel like a failure for anybody. Uh, this is success for Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield, Andrew Barry, who I spoke to in August, and he said, our job is to make the quarterback's life easier. Mission accomplished. Okay. So I'm, this is a victory for the Browns. They should be extremely happy with, with, with how far they've come. And that's not to say I, I don't think that this is what you're saying, but they could win that game. Oh, they absolutely. They could totally win that game. It, it is completely, I mean, yes. It, like, it's not like Roethlisberger's right in the not world on fire. Not in a fluky way, yeah. No, 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 no. They have talent. This is not, no, this isn't the 8-8 the eight and eight Bears sneaking in here. Okay, they can win this game. I'm just saying, when I look at this game next week, I just see the Steelers winning. I, but they, this, they have the talent to, to, to win this game. Yeah, no, that's, 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 I think mostly how I feel. Although I don't know, maybe I feel like it's a little bit more even than that, potentially a little bit of recency bias with what we've seen from the Steelers offense, but I can, that this seems oddly evenly matched to me. And again, interesting. that's going off of where the Steelers have been in, in December. 
uh, certainly less than early in the season, but that's where we are. Right. And I'm sure the rest helps. I'm I'm sure all of that. You mean, you mean when you say how they've been in December, you mean completely unable to function as an offense and a quarterback for large stretches of football games. Yeah. That, that, that thing, that whole thing thing. they've been doing. And I know that people are going to say, okay, well, this was a close game. And obviously the Steelers rested a bunch of starters. Cleveland was up against it as well. Um, they had another uh, stable of, of COVID outbreaks. Denzel Ward was was out of the game. Um, BJ Goodson, Harrison Bryant, Malcolm Smith, Anderson Sandejo. Uh, two coaches, Chad O'Shea and Bill Callahan, uh, were out due to COVID protocols as well. So they were shorthanded as well. Um, and I think this game was a little closer than Browns fans would have liked, especially because, you know, old memories start to creep in at some point. Uh, but I, I think that this was, I think that this was fine. Um, and I think that, you know, it's interesting to me, uh, the NFL had a number tonight, uh, that the three longest playoff droughts in history that have come to an end, the saints in 87, the bills in 2017, and now Cleveland in 2020, that all three of those ended when the new coach was in his first was in his first two seasons. And I think there's something there where I, once you sort of know the coach, like McDermott, I think you knew right away. The fact that they started Nathan Peterman that year, and all, this, all sorts of weirdness, whatever, fine. But when I was in Buffalo or I was in Rochester at training camp, whatever it was, I knew that something good was happening there. I said it on this podcast. We, we wrote it. We talked about it. And I get those same vibes with Stefanski right now. For some reason, there was a very heated is Stefanski coach of the year is McDermott coach of the year conversation on Twitter. I don't that that's a midweek thing for me. But what I can say right now is that Kevin Stefanski took a very uh, talented roster and became the first person to do something with it. And that that is so commendable for me. Every time he does, the more boring his press conferences are, the more confident I am that the Browns are going to win their next game. Like Kevin Stefanski just just getting on Zoom and being like, yep, we're going to take it one day at a t- time. I'm just like, <laughs> you can do this. Okay, let's go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, there's something to stability in Cleveland. You know, I mean, there were people talking about, you know, Jarvis Landry being a great acquisition. I remember how controversial that was, especially in the kind of tape fantasy analytics community. Oh, is Jarvis Landry valuable or whatever? He's making these guys valuable. He's making Nick Chubb valuable, who was obviously a great player to begin with. Um, you know, there are so many ways. The fact that we're sitting here and saying that a run first, I think they run the ball something like 48% of the time or the design mm-hmm. runs at 48% of the time. The fact that they're able to do that in an era and they're not doing the passing on first down, they're running on third down, I think at the third highest rate in football behind, I think behind only the Ravens and the Patriots. I think I read that on PFF. So I, I the fact that they're, for as much sort of analytics focus as they do, the fact that they have Paul D, Paul D. Podesta in the front office, former baseball analytics guru, Andrew Barry, um, has done it all. Uh, he's been a pro scout, a college scout, and analytics right. guy. Um, this is an old school football team. Um, and so obviously a lot of the wide zone stuff, and they're innovating, but they're playing in a way that I think is teaching us a lesson about how many different ways there are to win a football game in 2020. Because I think that there's a lot, a lot of people who sort of view the game as homogenous now. And I think you can make your quarterback better by not passing sometimes and and building around him. And I think that there's, uh, again, there's some lessons here. The Browns a couple of years ago were the thesis statement of the team was 
this is a massive collection of talent and talent is just going to win out. And we hyped them up to no end and and got totally transfixed by that. And that's fun. And no regrets. You live by the Browns, you die by the Browns, whatever. But then this team, think about what a pivotal moment it was when they lost Odell. And that had been an up and down relationship in six different ways. But that marks a transition from the way that we're going to win is to overwhelm teams by just having better players and be more Mm -hmm. stacked than whoever else. And clearly that hadn't worked. They hadn't gotten where they wanted to go by doing it that way. This way they had to do it. They're pretty good. They're also a little boring. And in the greater Browns context, both of those things are actually compliments. It's fine. Last thing before we get out of this uh, particular discussion, how many games in a row do you think the Browns have lost in Pittsburgh? Six? 17. Ah! That is physically jarring. The third longest road losing streak against a single opponent in NFL history. I'd love to see the first two. I'm not sure. I'm going to look that up later. All right, let's move on to, listen, as, as excited as we are for Cleveland fans, we feel that I don't know, frustration, I guess you could say for Miami fans, because, you know, we had a a reader question last week, Noro, that asked which team had the least to lose from a narrative perspective and the most to lose from a narrative perspective if they missed the playoffs. There are obviously a lot of double digit uh, win AFC teams who were in the hunt and one of them wasn't going to make it. And we find out that was the Dolphins day, but they lost in such a way that I don't think that this is a, oh, hey, great. We feel good about the season. No stakes. Well, see you next year, uh, a way that makes me question everything. Um, they still built an incredible foundation. Brian Flores is still a really good coach. Um, I still believe that they're going to have a lot of talent going forward and that they are have the draft capital to make their team better. But this was really, really bad. You cannot lose 56 to 26 to the Buffalo Bills and allowing for the fact that the Buffalo Bills are an absolute buzzsaw right now. You just can't play like this. Okay. Well, and, and the of, Bills, I mean, they, they played Josh Allen for part of the game, but they weren't resting some of their guys they didn't, and, and Trey White, Jerry Hughes, this like, was, those guys weren't playing. This was not a Bills team that, to, to, to quote Ray Lewis, was pissed off for greatness. Okay. They were going to play a half. They were going to see how it was going to go. And, and, and they were going to just see how it went. Okay. This was not super duper motivated Bills team. And that should show you, by the way, how good the Bills are. The Dolphins, according to ESPN, allowed 56 points after entering the week as the number one scoring defense in the NFL. They're the only number one scoring defense to allow 50 points in a game. Never happened before. So th- again, that should show you two things. Number one, how poorly the Dolphins played and how well the Bills played. Um, they're also now, this is a bill stat also from ESPN that this is, uh, their 56 points was the second most in a single game in franchise history. Okay, fine. Probably to be expected. They're the first team to enter the playoffs, winning six straight games by double digits since the 2014 Seahawks. Don't look up what happened to the 2014 Seahawks, but this is, if you're Buffalo right now, you should feel amazing. And if you're Miami, we're going to get to the quarterback conversation here in a minute. Boy, does this suck. It's brutal. And they had been so well coached and stable and confident, even in moments when they were winning close games and 
switching back and forth with the quarterbacks, but we had so many conversations about how the locker room had been managed there through going to Tua to Fitz to Tua to Fitz to Tua to Fitz, which mm -hmm. should have been really, really, really hard. And maybe it was hard, but we didn't see a lot of evidence of that on the field. And then you're in a win and in situation and this happens for the first time in history. So it is really disappointing. I would not say that I am equally frustrated for Dolphins fans as I am ecstatic for Browns fans, just because I do think that once you get past the sting of it, that greater picture of, okay, it's okay. It's not what you want in that situation. And again, this is a team that for the last couple of years has had, has just hated losing, has just, <laughs> even when it was good for them, even when it had something to offer them, they just seem to have absolutely no interest in doing it. So I'm sure everybody there is really, really, really pissed about this. But again, they do, they lock in the number three overall pick today. The future there, I, I do not, I am not part of the move on from Tua or consider that a really serious question crowd. We will get to that. But I do think that for them, their situation in the playoffs, I never felt like they were going to make a deep run this year. So in some ways, once you get over the initial sting of it, which is severe, then you move into, okay, still a really, really, really strong foundation here. So I think that, that it still holds what we were talking about last, last week, where this is the team where the narrative doesn't change as much. Although it does mean that they have to withstand this. Yeah. I, I disagree thing. with you. I, I actually disagree with you. I think the narrative shifted from, wow, this, so first of all, it's true that this team is going to be really good and have a lot of roster talent, and have a lot of good coaching for a number of years. That part is true, but I already said that. But the narrative switched in so much that this went from, hey, good team won double digits when last September they're losing by 50 all the time to is to a one and done. And I don't, I don't think he is, but I'm just, I'm just saying I can see this narrative already. A lot of smart people where that's Bucky Brooks came out and said, listen, Tua now has to be compared to Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. Um, Mike Tannenbaum said it last week that there's a chance that, that, that Miami sees, sees someone like Zach Wilson as an option at, at the number three pick. I think it's a little hard. I mean, the Cardinal situation with Josh Rosen, Rosen was totally different because that was number one pick. And you didn't have to get into, is this a two quarterback draft? Is it a three quarterback draft? Whatever. You didn't have to say, okay, is Zach Wilson going to move up on our board? It was just, we can take Kyler Murray and we're going to do it. And I think that for me, first of all, I want to say that the Josh Allen thing, I want to, this is a big picture thing, but the Josh Allen thing is going to be an aberration in NFL history. And I think I've seen a lot of people defend any raw quarterback when they're young now is saying, well, Josh Allen was bad. Um, what the Bills did with Josh Allen and what Josh Allen did with Josh Allen is, is not going to happen very often. Okay. And so I don't necessarily like the, the, the argument that, oh, well, Josh Allen is bad. So Tua can, can get good. But what I will say is that Tua will get better. And I don't think you cut bait now. I think you, you, with the third pick, you take another guy probably along the lines who's, or, or excuse me, a skill position player or along the lines. Um, whatever you want to do with, with Tua. But I think you have to give him a chance uh, one more year. I don't think the third quarterback in this draft is going to be so significantly good that he's, he's going to blow Tua's doors off and you have to go with him. It's not going to be a Kyler or Josh Rosen situation. 
But what I do think is that people are going to talk about that for the next four months. I think the Dolphins are a stable enough franchise where that's not going to affect it. But what I am saying is the question was about narrative. And I do think the narrative is flipped. You know, Dave Hyde, uh, the great columnist in the Sun Sentinel, wrote it today, um, right after the game. He said, "We, you know, that that's they give him a couple of days to decompress and then figure out if Tua is your guy." I don't think realistically anyone was going to think that if they lost, or everyone was going to write that or talk about that if they lost by six points today. That's true, but in a month somebody's going to lose the Super Bowl and there's going to be a whole different thing. I I'm not sure that this will be moving and have legs to the extent that it's really going to change internally how they look at it internally how they feel the other thing I feel like is okay I could almost understand if they wanted to do something crazy and say you know what let's get another quarterback in here let's take another swing sure because it's the most important position and we have this draft capital and it's more important to us to have a second opportunity to get it right but the idea of just cutting bait and deciding right now that two is not the guy to me, if that were to happen, it would be so unfortunate because it would be a reaction. I think to the ridiculous weight of expectations that got put on a player who was coming off of a brutal injury. Yes. And th- that's the number one reason young, that you give him more in patient, the weirdest, patient. weirdest, weirdest freaking season ever. And that was why I thought it was so ridiculous in the start where it was like, well, he looks like the greatest college quarterback that a lot of people have ever seen. So obviously from day one in the NFL, it's going to look the same. And that that's, that is terrible logic. And so if that's the standard that we're holding to it to, then of course it's not going to work out. Give the kid an opportunity to take a leap in the second year, which we see so many quarterbacks do. And I don't understand what they possibly could have seen this year, which by the way, I mean, this was an abysmal game for him. They run an offense with Tua that is just totally horizontal. And then later in the game, when they started going downfield a little bit more, he just wasn't completing anything there and was overthrowing everything. So it was, it was a brutal, brutal, brutal day. Up to this point in the season, Tua has not been that bad. He was completing like 65% of his passes. It was not nothing explosive, not putting up big numbers. There were some moments, like if you think back to that game where they beat the Rams, I think he had under 100 yards, but he still, there were moments of poise there. Mm -hmm. And I just think it would be a real shame if somehow that got in the water stream internally there, which I don't think it will. I think they have way too much sense for that, that that was somehow disqualifying for him because this just doesn't count as enough of a chance. I think the two biggest things, and number one, when we talk about sort of the chances they took, um, he threw 58 passes, uh, second most by a quarterback this year, and he was 5 of 17 on deep passes. Um, that was this, that was a Sunday. And I think that there's, there's two reasons I, I don't think that he's going to have any competition next year. Number one is, as I said, there's a huge difference between the first and third pick. And when it, when it comes to the quarterback, when you need a quarterback, they go really, really early. You have to trade up and, and draft capital, whatever. You're not going to get Fields. You're not going to get Lawrence. So you might as well uh, try to try to build around Tua and figure that out. Okay. If they had the first and second pick, that's a different conversation. If they could get Fields, that's a different conversation. Um, or if the Jets just talk themselves into Zach Wilson, that's a different conversation. Um, and then the other part is is what you said, um, where I think they have a little, a little too much sense. Uh, for this to to know that unless you can get a sure thing 
uh, there's no reason to to do this and that those resources better spent elsewhere. Um, I want to ask you this very quickly. If Ryan Fitzpatrick were available today, would he have come in the game? Yeah. And I think they, their offense would have been better. That to me gets to the, the heart of it. And for as much as we, I mean, we were talking about Brian Flores as a coach of the year candidate a couple weeks ago, for as much as we love the future of this team. I mean, this is, I don't think there's any team that we're, we're in more of an agreement on than the Miami dolphins. This was a step back today. And I, I, I don't know. And by the way, by the way, maybe this is just the bills being awesome. And maybe the narrative flips in three weeks when the bills run through the playoffs in January and we go, Oh wow. Turns out the dolphin just got the wrong schedule at the wrong time. Well, if Josh Allen, I think aberration is strong, but I agree with you that Josh Allen is a bit of an anomaly in terms of how his growth happened. But if he continues to play the way that he's played this season, and if Tua doesn't work out, then the conversation that needs to be had is about the transition from college to the NFL vis-a-vis what the receiver talent that a player was working with in college was. Because with Josh Allen, that I think it's fair to say was detrimental to his growth, that he just wasn't playing with guys around him who were going to force him to make anticipatory throws. And credit to him that he's figured out a way to do it. That's the part that doesn't happen that often. But we might be needing to readjust a little bit how we look at that as part of the context. And this is not me saying that that's definitely what's happening. And I don't think that, I just don't think we know with Tua is my point. So if they wanted, if the Dolphins wanted to add someone else into the mix, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily fault them for it. But if it were because they looked at this year and said, this clearly isn't the guy and we've got to go full Rosen, I, I don't think that they would do that for a second. And if they did, it would be ridiculous to me. Josh Allen and his improvement, which I think is, is pretty much here to stay, is I, I just don't think you can, you can rely on that. And I, if, if you ran his career a thousand times in a thousand different situations, um, it's it, there's no guarantees. Okay, the fact that he went from two thousand yards to three thousand yards to forty three hundred yards in a two year period is unbelievable since twenty eighteen. Um, we did the whole stats thing, the whole improvement thing last week. I don't want to do it again. I'm just saying that you know I think every for a long time everyone held up Peyton Manning setting the interceptions record as like oh bad quarterbacks can become good, and I, I generally do agree with that. I'm just saying that you should be asking the question as soon as they get in the building because there's nothing. There's nothing that matters more than than whether or not you've solved the quarterback problem. And I remember, you know, I remember Thomas Dimitrov telling me this a couple of years ago. We were talking about Matt Ryan, but the contract stuff. And he was like, when you don't have a quarterback, you feel it in every room in the building. And my question right now, and I don't know the answer, is if you're in the Dolphins facility right now, do you feel like you have a quarterback or not? Yeah. I don't know. That, I, I don't know. I honestly I would don't lean know. To yes, but I honestly don't know either. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The playoffs are my favorite time of year. 
I can't wait to bet all the action this weekend on FanDuel Sportsbook. And if you've never tried FanDuel before, the playoffs are the perfect time to give it a shot because right now, new users get an exclusive 25 to 1 odds boost on any team to win during the wildcard round this weekend. That's right, 25 to 1 odds. Any team, any playoff game this weekend. On this podcast, we talk a lot about how I'm starting to get excited about the Baltimore Ravens. That might be the bet for me at 25 to 1 odds this weekend. So don't miss out on this exclusive offer. I've been betting football on FanDuel all season long. It's easy to register, easy to deposit, easy to find your bet. Fast withdrawal is when you win. FanDuel pays your winnings in as little as 24 hours. And there's live betting. It's easy to place your bet fast during a game if you see a trend you like. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and use promo code RINGERNFL so they know I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code RINGERNFL. Disclaimer, 21 and up and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee. New users only. Must wager on designated boost market. Deposit required. Max bonus $125. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Our next winner is the AFC South, which gets both the Titans and the Colts in on the last day of the season. The the Colts certainly needed some help. Uh, The Titans, we kind of assumed they were in. Derek Henry became the fourth player in the last 20 years to rush for 2,000 yards. He also became the eighth player overall to rush for 2,000 yards. Um, had a t- had 250 yards. He's untackleable. We're doing this again. It's January, and Derek Henry is just going to do the thing where he can't be tackled. Uh, interesting game. They win on a doink. Doinks in. Um, a lot of that going around in January. A lot of doinks. Uh, what did you learn about the Titans and Colts? And what did we learn? And we're going to get to a Colts. Bill's prediction here in a second, but what did we learn about the AFC South today, Nora? First of all, I want to know how you responded to the doink because I can't imagine being Philip Rivers. I thought Rivers. it was out. Be- I thought it was out too. I I went fetal position essentially as soon as I saw the ball hit the upright, and then somebody yelled, "No, it went through!" and it was just a real roller coaster. But one of the crazy situations of the day, the Colts were so interesting to me this week because they came in with the possibility of being out of the playoffs in as a wild card or to win the AFC South. And they're funky to me. I think they're in a tough, tough game against the Bills. And I just don't think that they've been consistent enough this season for me to feel like they really have all that much of a shot against a Bills team that just feels like a buzzsaw right now, but it's funny to look back because there was that chance that they could win 11 games and be the third 11 win team to miss the playoffs, even in a year where there's an extra seed, uh, which I'm glad that they are not because you look back and you look at their off season and go, okay, well, rivers, not perfect, but that worked out pretty well. And it's a pretty big swing to take a a chance on an aging quarterback (laughs) and, He's coming off a bad year. And at a certain point that tends to go in one direction and they figure he can make it better and Buckner and their draft picks. A lot of things went right for them. And this is a team that you expand the frame a little bit and go, okay, they had the guy that they thought was their franchise quarterback suddenly retire. 
They got left at the altar by a guy that they wanted to be the coach. And it's a little bit miraculous when you start to put it all together and go, so they've still been pretty stable this whole time. And actually none of these things have, have jumped up and bitten them in the face. So my feeling is kind of the Colts did everything right. And I also don't think that they have all that much of a chance against the Bills, although I'm very, very, very curious to see um, Rhodes on Diggs, which I assume will be a really cool matchup that we'll get. But I think you get into how the Bills receivers are going to be able to find the spaces. The Colts tend to play a lot of too high zone, and I, I just think it's going to be a tough one to go blow for blow with them. But an interesting situation with the Titans who are going to play a really hot Ravens team. It is kind of, if their playmakers can be untackleable enough to make up for the fact that they have a really, really, really terrible defense. That's playing an offense that's been on fire for the last month. And I'm, I gotta be real. I'm not optimistic. I asked Mark Ingram when he was on Tuesday last month, whether he'd want to, it's a 10 yard, 10 yard kind of fight here. Would you rather try to tackle Derrick Henry or Lamar Jackson? And he said the answer, obviously. He, he would actually have a go at both. He would lose to both. Um, but we talked a little bit about just the different the different problems each each present. And obviously, they're extremely different, um, but they both force missed tackles. Um, and, and they're both just nightmares to game plan against because they even if you are standing in front of them, things don't go your way sometimes. But... I think that nothing surprised me more in the last couple of years of football than, than the Titans Ravens game. And I think that we've all forgotten. We've all decided to forget collectively what the feeling was in this Ravens team coming into last year. Um, and this was, I, I told the story to, to Rich Ornberg when he was on this podcast over the summer, he was on, I was in the green room um, at Fox and he was on Fox saying that the Titans are going to give the Ravens a run for their money. And everybody, sort of all of the different shows were there, like the sports shows, and everybody was just chuckling. Like, we were just like, oh, this guy. Like, I'm talking about, like, former players, the whole deal. We're all just chuckling. Right. We're all just like, yeah, okay, okay, buddy. Like, who who let this guy on TV? Um, and then Saturday night, everything he said about the gaps and all that stuff turned out to be correct. And I I, I think that um, this is a tough team in, in Tennessee. I think that they they win games they shouldn't, which I think is probably the best compliment you can give of of, of any team. And I don't know. Um, I think that the Ravens are are primed for a run, and that's kind of what I'm going back to when I talk about this time last year. We had forgotten about the Chiefs this time last year. Um, remember, they only got the bye because of 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 late late season Fitz Magic, all that stuff. And I think that there's you know when 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 we go into the playoffs we tend to have these narratives slipped on their head very quickly. And so I guess what I'm saying is I like the Titans as an organization. I like them as, uh, you know, in theory, I think the Ravens are really coming together at the right time. And I think they're getting better. And I think Lamar Jackson kind of understands what this is. Um, I think that there's, from Lamar's standpoint, and something he and I have talked about, you know, I, I think that there's something real where every time he posted anything, and he said this, you know, every time he, he would say, hey, I'm, I'm at my house, you know, 5,000 people would in one second would say, hey, man, you, you sucked in the playoffs. And I don't want to do the last dance meme, but I, I do think he took that personally. And I think there's I, 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 I'm just intrigued to see what happens in this game, because I again, I can't I 
I think Vrabel is a really good coach. I think it's going to be a very close game, but I do think that the Ravens have the actual capability to make the Super Bowl if things break right. I think there are three teams right now. Obviously, the Chiefs are number one in the AFC, and then the Bills are right behind them. That gap gets closer every time I see the Bills play, but I would not be surprised if the Ravens made the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. If the Ravens made the Super Bowl, I would not be surprised. They, they would be third... They would be third on right. my list. I'm just I'm just repeating them. it I'd for be surprised. emphasis so that people I remember. I would be surprised. I'd be surprised if any other team made the Super Bowl. I'm acting surprised, but I'm just making you put your take clearly on record. So I like it. No, I, I, it. I think I, I think the AFC Championship. I think it's going to be chalk. I think it's going to be Chiefs Bills. But I'm just saying that if we're sitting here and uh, on the Saturday before the Super Bowl and we're talking about Lamar Jackson and going, why do we forget about Lamar Jackson? I wouldn't be surprised by that. Okay, you wouldn't um, be shocked. Yes, I want to get back very quickly because it's not the Ravens segment to the Colts because Philip Rivers had a weird game today. 164 passing yards um, has now been picked off by this Wingard guy twice in uh, in the season for the Jaguars. Um, this is the Wingard's Wingard highlight guy. day. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, 253 yards, uh, franchise record. If there's and this is simplistic, and we'll get more analysis later in the week and all this stuff, but. Listen, the Bills were 27th in in rushing yards against um, by attempt this year. And Jonathan Taylor clearly had the capability to take over the game. And if you're just doing very simplistic, and, and we'll get more analysis later in the week on this feed, but if you're just doing the napkin math, the Bills are 27th in, in yards per attempt uh, rushing against this year. And Jonathan Taylor has the capability to take over the game. The Jaguars stink. The Jaguars absolutely stink. We saw this all year. But I'm just saying, if you're looking for something to recommend the Colts, I think you'd start there. Um, Philip Rivers is is going to do just enough to to keep you in the game. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to be easy. Going to be Phil Rivers. Um, I think that this is going to have to be a roster win. I guess you could say for the Colts, where everything breaks right, where their talent shows out, and and I think that there's there's a path. But I just think that man, the Bills are a freaking buzzsaw right now. Um, and as for the, the Texans who obviously played the Titans in that game, Deshaun Watson deserves better. We saw that today. He almost won that game, uh, single-handedly. And I think that there's, he said after the game, there's no foundation there. So I don't know. I, I just, I just hope for the best. Every time I watch Deshaun Watson, all I can think of is I hope for the best for Deshaun Watson. And today was a real drive in that home game because he was unbelievable and nothing sure else. was. What it's are we a bummer. Do? There's no, I just don't know the path. I just don't know the path forward. Whatever. It upsets me. It upsets the me one that Deshaun thing, Watson's though, in a bad spot. The one thing, though, is that they will be able to, every time I start talking myself into that being just a bad coaching job, I have to come around to every coaching job is a good coaching job and people want them and they can offer a lot of money and figure it out. So I do think that there's hope in that particular context. Every coaching job is a good coaching job in so much that you can buy a home in like your hometown that costs $3 million. Sure. Yeah, that's it. Not every, the, every job is There's a good coaching 32 job. Of them. In some, yeah, and they pay a bunch of money, but sometimes there are situations you go into, to, you're hired to be fired. Sure. But do you think yeah. even I don't think Joe the Texan job is like that. I don't think that I, I don't think the, the Texan job is like this. I'm just saying that the I am I'm pushing back and we've talked about this in this podcast before. I'm pushing back on the idea that all 32 coaching jobs are generally good coaching jobs. They're not created equal, are, but they're good jobs. Pe- or they're jobs that people want. 
You think Joe Douglas was psyched about being the general manager of the Jets? Well, they doubled the offer in years and I think money. Right. So he was psyched at the end of contract. So that he was psyched. Yeah. So that he, he was, was psyched. psyched. But the factor of the dumpster fire organization, there was a way of alleviating that. Yes. So I think that the thing with Watson is that the Texans have solved the problem that every other team's trying to solve. And which is elite quarterback play. And then how much does that then weigh against teams that don't have it figured out? Right. And for all we could say about Jacksonville and the blank slate and getting Trevor Lawrence and stuff, we've never seen Trevor Lawrence play at the NFL level. So if you're a top candidate, do you, what, what, what do you want more? Um, it's a fascinating thing. We've had the discussion before. We'll have it again, but that's, I don't know. They got doing today. Great, Sean. Um, all right. Yeah. I, I think both these teams lose next week, but good seasons. Our next loser, the Arizona Cardinals. They lose to the LA Rams 18 to seven. Kyler Murray uh, leaves the game for large chunks of an ankle injury. He finishes the game eight of 11 for 87 yards. John Wolford coming in for an injured Jared Goff, 22 of 38, 231 yards, one interception. Did we have higher hopes for Arizona or once Kyler left the game, we, we, we knew how it was going to go? Well, I think once Kyler <laughs> left the game, we pretty much knew how this was going to go. I hate to shade CFL legend Chris Strievler, uh, who, by the way, I, somebody tweeted at me calling him um, uh, CFL J.R. Smith, and it was the best thing that I saw Ooh. all day. It made me yeah, so Yeah, a lot happy. of shirtless and, photos. A lot of shirtless yeah, photos. A lot of shirtless photos of the Streve, and I think he did his best, and we support him. And CFLJR was was really working for me today. But the cards, the thing is, is that they were just they were so inconsistent all year, and they had they had really good moments. But it seemed like whenever they got in a game where Kyler wasn't being able to threaten defenses with his mobility, or DeAndre Hopkins wasn't totally going off. They just got one dimensional and everything started getting screwed up and the coaching was weird. And, and there were so few moments when everything was working right for them. So then you play that out to Kyler goes down. And even though on the other side is John Wolford, who has an active LinkedIn page, which feels like, right. This is a quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, but I don't know what the stats are on starting quarterbacks who have active LinkedIn pages, but I just got to assume they don't win a whole ton of games, but I, the Rams just overall, particularly with how good their defense is, that's the team that can withstand, uh, starting one of these guys and the Cardinals, they just seem so easy to knock off their axis. And it's been a disappointing year because I think we both had fairly high hopes for them in different ways, both with, uh, Murray's development, but, they start five and two and then they were, they were the hail Murray away from a five game losing streak. And I, I don't know how much of that gets fixed in one off season. I don't know how they're really feeling about cliff right now. Not that, you know, certainly not saying that he's going to get fired or anything, but that seat might be getting a little warm, but in a weird way, this is an encapsulation of their season. And, um, you know, the bears say, thank you. So first of all, if you're a huge college football fan, I don't think you are, but I, I am. Um, you can get in some real LinkedIn rabbit holes 
with former college football stars because if you go on one then everybody on the panel where it says like people also viewed it's other college football stars i'm talking about people who never played in the pros right or played for like two years and in, in like 2008 and you're just like going through it and all of a sudden you're just you, you know you're in 10 random wake forest quarterbacks with linkedin pages that's all um okay so a couple of of things here Number one is, again, because Kyler was out for most of the game, even though he came back in, I think it was it was a little too late. It was a two-possession game at that point. Um, I, I think you kind of have to throw the stats away a little tiny bit. Um, but Jalen Ramsey had a great game today. Uh, shadowed DeAndre Hopkins, according to Next Gen Stats, on 75% of his routes. Uh, Hopkins ended up with two receptions for 28 yards on seven targets uh, when Ramsey was nearby. And, and I think that there's... I think that the Rams are a sneaky interesting team and i think they're the last couple of weeks where things started to go south i think that they're you know listen they had that 84 yard pick six today on strebler uh troy hill just playing really well they're deep and they're well coached on both sides of the ball and i think the golf thing probably removes them from any sort of meaningful playoff run the injury obviously um but i think they could they could scare a team i think the seahawks kind of own them. Um, I think it's a bad matchup. And I think that if they were, they were playing other teams, I'd pick them to maybe cover or something like that. Um, but I just think that the, the, the Seahawks thing is just a little too, it's a little too much for them to overcome. The Seahawks are really good. Just for listeners, it seems like going into this game, the expectation with Goff was that if they were indeed in, it was likely that he was going to be able to play in the wild card round. And then it seems yeah. like after this game, McVay was kind of like, eh, we'll see unclear. So who knows if that's just post game. I don't want my quarterback sort of with, a th- with but I don't want my quarterback with a thumb injury. That seems like a bad, we can, it seems like a bad thing to have. You know what? You and me both, Kevin, I'm glad we have that in common. Yeah, McVay said he's not sure about golf's availability. We'll talk about that. So that's what he said. So I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't sound all that interesting. Um, yeah, with Cliff there, I guess th- this is this is maybe a question for another pod, but um, is there any path you think with, obviously they, they need to make huge changes within their coaching staff and and Cliff needs to do a little more self, self-scouting and all that stuff. But if, if you're a Bidwell, do you roll with Cliff for another year? Yeah, I do. We've, we've said it a bunch of times. What Cliff has done that is more impressive than anything else, even the schematic stuff, is show an ability to evolve pretty quickly. And I would offer another opportunity for that to happen. Okay. I think I agree. I think I agree. I think that the 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 general vibe of this conversation, whether it's Tua, Cliff, or whoever else, is I'm looking at this, but I'm going to let you stay. That's it. That's my general vibe for every team. That's how I'm fixing every team is I'm asking the on question, notice. but then everybody's coming back. All right. On notice. Let's get to, everybody's on notice. All right. Our next winner is not on notice because they're in the playoffs. It's the Chicago Bears. They lost by 19, 35 to 16 to the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers looked like he was not going to have an incompletion. Finishes the day 19 of 24, 240 yards, four touchdowns. Mitchell Trubisky, 33 completions, 252 yards, one interception. Um, listen, completions are completions. Mitch Trubisky showing us the value of it. Um, all right. So there's probably some really easy jokes about the Bears. Um, I'm not going to make them. They will lose next week to the Saints on Nickelodeon at 440. Uh, that game is also on CBS. But you know, listen, they finished the year eight and eight, and 
Nor, you've spent time in NFL locker rooms. You've spent them in the Washington football team, which I'm sure was a different vibe than, than the Patriots. But you've been in those, and you've been in other teams after games or whatever. Really easy for a team to get off the rails when things start going south. Really easy. And I don't think that this is the greatest coaching job in the world. I don't think that, that Matt Nagy is Sean McVay. Uh, I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is Deshaun Watson. But what I will say is that I, I think that I, a month ago or whenever it was when things started to go south, I saw a very different ending for this Bears team. I saw a very different ending for Mitchell Trubisky. The fact that he's talked his way into extension talks, the fact this team, even, listen, it's a seventh seed, I get that. Um, I think that there's there's something to, I don't know necessarily know if you can extrapolate on it or if it's repeatable or whatever, but I do think it's commendable that they got to this position. And and listen, I'll probably make some Bears jokes later this week, but I don't I don't think that there's um I don't think this is all bad. They made the playoffs. I will likewise hold off on the jokes, even though I have extensions for everyone written in yeah. my notes. Uh you can all <laughs> pretend I didn't say that. But I do think we have to acknowledge that they lost and they backdoored they, and they, into they the got playoffs. Destroyed. They got destroyed. They got destroyed. And well, they backdoored but, but, but that's not anything we didn't know. They're, the Packers are much better than that, as are the Saints. The Bears are significantly worse than every other NFC playoff team except anyone from the NFC East. And I, by the way, I'd love to see a, a Bears versus the NFC East tournament. But I don't. I think that we did, we learned that the Packers can kick the Bears' ass, just like we'll learn next week that the Saints kick the Bears' ass. Um, that's not new to me. It's just congratulations to the Bears on getting to a place where they're the seventh best team in the NFC. Sure, but you get creamed backdoor into the playoffs because another team loses in a year where there is arbitrarily an extra seed and the entire vibe narrative feeling about what the outcome of this year was changes. And that's inevitable because one of the major goals of NFL teams is to make the playoffs. And they did that and they don't control how many seeds make the playoffs and none of that is up to them. So they have no choice and they did everything that they needed to do in terms of going for that. None of that is wrong. None of that is bad. In fact, most of it is very good, but these are the types of things that cause people to make bad decisions. Absolutely. Based on a change in feeling that is not actually the product of a real change in circumstance. And I will just say that at the beginning of this, you said we're going to switch to someone who is not on notice. The bears are a winner, but they are also on notice. All right. We're putting the bears on notice. I'm sorry to have pulled the old switcher on bears fans. The bears are on notice. So I, there's, a, there's a couple of things you said there that I found interesting. So I don't think that the Bears, I think at eight and eight and getting their ass kicked by the by the Packers, I don't think that the that Hallis Hall and the decision makers there are gonna say, oh, we're bringing back Ryan Pace, we're giving him an extension, Matt Nagy gets an extension, Mitch Trubisky, we're getting him fifty million dollars. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think that they're probably pretty realistic on this. And by the way, the Trubisky bring Trubisky back, that was talked about before, you know, two games ago with with, with Adam Schefter. And so I think it was always trending in that direction. And I think that they're not gonna I don't think they're gonna make any Decisions they wouldn't have uh, after this game, they wouldn't have had made, made on Sunday morning. Um, and so I think that there's, I'm not saying that, that this is sustainable or anything like that. You know what this is like? Do you have any friends who got into like college, but they got in like the weird program of a good school? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like they got into like a <laughs> yeah. summer school type thing 
And it was like, well, I got into this school, but I had to go like I have to enroll in June and then get get like like a GPA of something, and then I get it. Yes, it's I know. Conditional conditional acceptance. I don't know what you would call it. But I had a couple of friends who went to good schools on that. That's what the Bears did. Okay, but you don't you don't say like, oh man, that sucks. You got into a you know the fake version of the school. You go, oh man, that's I love that for you. That's what I'm doing with the Bears right now. Right, but then three years out of college or whatever, those people are not rolling around going. Yeah, well, I did this and I enrolled in June and I filled out all the extra paperwork and blah, 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 blah. They just say I went to school where I went to school and it becomes baked into the assumptions and the narrative about what their education was like. And I'm not sure if we're having conversation about how much the Dolphins loss and missing the playoffs changes the narrative for them. I'm just not sure that it doesn't do the opposite or the same or, or whatever. I don't think so. I don't and think it, I don't think anyone I don't think anyone is like this bear season is a massive success. I think it's an amusement. I think it's a sideshow. But I don't think it I think needs the Bears playoff game is a sideshow. I think the Bears playoff game is a sideshow for everybody. I don't think any I don't think they're going to pull out the George W. Bush mission accomplished banners and sit on an aircraft carrier and go we did it guys. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. That's a different George W. Bush thing. But yes. Well, then that's good, Incident. but you have different more confidence Bush. in that you have more confidence in that than I do. I don't I I I would be surprised if if they make emotional decisions based on making the playoffs first not. I don't think I think the same decisions But if they're already on the fence. If the Cardinals And I'm not saying they're yes. on the fence to give everybody a 50-year extension for life. Congratulations. You actually own give, the Bears give, now. Give get give Matt Nagy the the Gruden contract, 10 years, 100 million. Yes. Yes. Give no, actually, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. They are the seventh seed. Um, I don't think I don't I th- I don't think any decisions will be made off this. I think that this is this is this is a, a like not a thing. This is like the, the this is like the equivalent of making like the Citrus Bowl, the Capital One Bowl, whatever they call it. <laughs> All right, whatever well, the bowl, we'll, the, che- we'll the cheese. Find out, bowl. I suppose. Miami made the cheese. It's bowl in Orlando. <laughs> All right. Let's one move on. thing. Let's let's hold on before we do that. Let's just oh. mention one thing about this, which is that so they're they're playing the Saints, probably will be unsuccessful in that endeavor either way. But that is one of the Sunday games, which means that there is at least a chance that Alvin Kamara can play because he will hit the ten day mark on the COVID list on that Saturday. So if he continues to test negative and whatever he wouldn't have practiced but he could play in that game because it is sunday instead of saturday that's a great note all right our our last loser here is adam case who has been fired officially as a sunday night by the new york jets it was reported on sunday morning this is going to happen end of an era nora we hardly knew ye adam gase so the jets only have one option which is do everything they can not to ruin Justin Fields' career. If they want to talk themselves into Zach Wilson, I'm I'm willing to hear that, but I I don't I don't think so. I think this is Justin Justin Fields' pick, and I think that you have to figure out your plan because I don't think they had a plan with Sam Darnold, and that was one of the things that I said for for three years. Is what what are we doing here? Because the best thing in football to have is an elite young quarterback who's making a not a lot of money on those cheap contracts, and they had that with Darnold. And they wasted it and they didn't have an identity and they're firing Mike McHagden after the draft and they're hiring Adam Gase in 2018. There was just, I, write something down on paper 
and then do it. Okay. Cause I don't, if, I think if any time you would raided the jets office and said, Hey guys, show me your plan, show me your blueprint. They would have gone, uh, I don't think we really have one. Okay. And now is the time for Joe Douglas to sit down and remake this franchise. I think that Joe Douglas can be a GM, a good GM. I think that Joe Douglas uh, made some good draft picks and we saw that. Um, I was high on that, on that, that hire two years ago. And I remain high on that hire. I just think that the case wasn't it. And I don't think that the talent base was very good. And so I think that there's, there's a path there. Uh, it starts this week, starts this month, whatever it is. Um, I'd love to see a guy like a Brian Dable or an Arthur Smith, something like that, uh, who's just going to be able to figure out what to do or potentially, potentially a college guy, um, who would, who would maybe someone who has familiarity with, with, um, the cutting edge of, of college games and would be able to marry that with the pros. Something like remember Brian Dable was at Alabama a couple of years ago. He sort of understands it. Um, Justin Fields, obviously from Ohio state, but has, has played in the sec. Um, so I just think that if you can marry pro and college schemes, there's something there. And I I'm intrigued to see where this goes. I'm thinking about college analogies now and the jets have been, you know how there's the kid who comes into class and like most people have, they have a laptop, they have a notebook, they have a, pens and pencils, whatever. They have some way of organizing their assignments and taking some record of what takes place in the lecture. But there's always that one guy who comes in, clearly doesn't have anything, and then has to ask someone to like rip a page out of their spiral notebook. Absolutely. And then he takes it and he's like, thanks. And then five seconds later, he's like, "Ah, actually, do you have a pen too? Like that's where the Jets have been. Would it surprise you to learn I was that person? Actually, yes. Yeah. As much different back then. Not academics, not my thing. Academics, not my thing. Just different, you know. Everybody has different strengths. Um, I get bored easily, and then just she's not going to pay attention during this class. And you strike so. me as a as a notebook guy. Mm-mm. No, wow. I have very I have very specific passions, and I'm and I'm extremely prepared and focused on those things. For instance sports, sports media, those sort of things, the things I actually do. But if I'm actually bored by something as I wasn't like math, totally out. So I was off in high school. I think I was last in my class. Not mistaken. Had to work my way up. Had to go in first in our hearts, some, some fake programs myself to get into some schools here. All right, Nora, I guess there's a winner here and I guess it's the Washington football team. Washington, Washington, 17, Philadelphia, 14, Jalen Hurts gets removed for Nate Sudfeld. Nate Sudfeld does Nate Sudfeld things. Uh, there is an open revolt against the Eagles and their lack of competitive int- integrity, both on the broadcast and on social media. Uh, Dan Orlovsky has a, a Twitter note here that I'm reading right now that said, uh, what happened to respecting the game and respecting uh, the other teams in the league? Giants players, and they show this in the broadcast, Giants players we're all over social media complaining about what was going on. The fact that the Eagles were clearly just not trying to win. Lindsey Jones, our buddy, uh, said it best. She said, the proof that tanking doesn't really exist in the NFL is how just how stunning it is to see it actually happen in real time. Uh, what we saw tonight, uh, haven't really seen anything like it. The football team makes the playoffs. The 6-10 and 10 Giants are not going to make it, much to their dismay. Uh, what'd you learn? What did I learn? Uh, I don't know that this was a real academic learning experience for me. I think I learned how to watch a football game through through a, the slit in 
two fingers that I was mostly holding a hand over my eyes would be the main takeaway. I'm not crying for the Giants here. The Giants would have had to win the Super Bowl to get to 500 if they had been the winner of the NFC East. Let's not. The competitive integrity argument, I understand all that stuff, but let's not worry about what happened to the 6-10 and Giants, okay? They They had their opportunities. And now Dan Orlovsky is our buddy, and anyone who wants to go full notes app, I support you. But oddly enough, I I guess the right, I don't know. Do you feel like the right team won the NFC East? Because I suppose that's my feeling. I mean, after I watching guess, this game. I guess. I mean, what is the point of, of the right team? What is there a right team? One of our reader Maybe questions is wrong. whether one of our reader questions is whether or not the NFL should switch to a, a college style poll voting, like a coach's poll for playoffs, just to keep teams like the NFC East teams out which I think is a novel concept. Let's just rig it so that these teams can't make the playoffs anymore. Well, can't wait to see him against Tom Brady in prime time. Yeah. So we're trying to preview every single game when we talk about the winner or loser. Um, and I don't feel like we need to spend all that much time on the football team against Tom Brady. So the one thing is you could say that that pass rush, that defensive line could make Brady yes uncomfortable 100% that in and of itself is a matchup that is worth watching and that's why I kind of look at this and go okay I guess if I have to choose congratulations to the football team we'll see you in the football playoffs against the football quarterback Tom Brady cool the thing about the Bucks, there's one part of this Bucks season where it would be totally peak Bucks to be like, oh yeah, they're going to lose to the NFC East winner in the playoffs. But then when you really think about it, the thing about the Bucks is that they've struggled against good teams and they've beaten a lot of bad teams pretty handily. And uh, I guess I'll leave it there. So I agree with you. I'm actually, just from a football dork standpoint, really interested to see how Brady handles that because I... I a ferocious pass rush is how you get to Tom Brady. That's also, by the way, how you get to every quarterback who's ever played football. Um, and so I just, I, I'd like to, that's a nice little early test to, to simulate what that playoff run is going to look like. But I don't, I just don't think the football team has, uh, has the horses for this. Um, they're building a foundation. I really like Ron Rivera. The Alex Smith thing is unbelievable. Um, he's going to win comeback player of the year. I will say Josh Norman had a pick six today. Josh Norman's ability to bounce back from the Derrick Henry stiff arm gets him in my top five for the comeback player of the year. I'm sticking with Alex Smith, but that's a good joke. Let's, uh, is it a joke? Um, Chris Collinsworth, let's, let's, let's uh, get back to this very briefly. He said, quote, about the Nate Sudfeld thing, quote, I couldn't have done it. I simply couldn't have done what Philadelphia did. I, I, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, I we just saw it, and so it's hard for me to form a real time opinion here. I'm just this is not. They didn't throw the game. They just put in a bad fourth quarter or a bad quarterback in crunch time in a game that they obviously could have won and they did lead. And our, our Roger Sherman pointed out basically, you don't need to evaluate Sudfeld. You need to evaluate Jalen Hurts, who who came out of the game. And so I think that they they don't need to evaluate Carson Wentz. By the way, if they were really tanking, they would have put Carson Wentz in. <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. Um, but I don't know. I I, I just again <laughs> was, wasn't he inactive? He no, he was inactive. But I'm just saying, yeah. if the whole plan was to tank, the, Carson Wentz's yeah, day no, give- was. 
being ruled yeah, inactive. Yeah, but I get the joke. I'm just no, just no, no. His day, his, his day was his day was being ruled inactive, and then leaking that he wants to be traded to the Colts. Maybe you should ask the Colts about that before that happens. And it was the best so, Sunday of his season. It was the best Sunday of his season, leaking that he wants to leave. Okay, all right. Um, anything else on this on this game in this division? We'll talk more about this matchup later, but and there'll probably be more to come as far as who says what about this. Jason Kelsey, by the way, a couple of weeks ago went on that rant about how winning the game should always be the most pressing concern. He'll probably have some comments about the fact that his coach uh, decided to just start getting weird with it in the second half of a of a game with massive playoff implications. Well, right. They didn't, I guess we're saying that they didn't actively try to throw the game, but then they put in a quarterback who, who wasn't going to win it. So that a rose is a rose is a rose. Although. No, I'm sorry. I I don't think that they were, I don't think that they told anybody. It's like what NBA teams do. Okay. When they're trying to tank, I'm going to land a magic fan. I've seen a lot of this. Okay. It's not about telling Nate Sudfeld to throw the game. It's about playing Nate Sudfeld. Right. Well, and so sure. that's what I, there's a difference between not trying to I'm, win. I don't, and I don't the game. think, the I don't magic think Nate saying, Sudfeld was trying not to win. Right. Nate Sudfeld was trying his ass off. He was, he was just Nate Sudfeld. Nate Sudfeld, he, he by suffered, the way, is really, really, a, really lovely. I don't know him that well. I don't know him at all. He was the, he was the third string quarterback um, in the, the brief span of a few months when I covered the Washington football team. That's just going to be a delight. revenge game, a, a revenge game for him. Yeah. This reminds like the magic would tank by like running plays for Shabazz Napier in in crunch time. And you go, well, that's Shabazz Napier is trying, but he's just Shabazz Napier. Right. And that's, that's sort of what Sudfeld was. So it's not like for me, it's not necessarily like a, like there shouldn't be a congressional investigation of this. Okay. It's just like, this is something crappy that Doug Peterson probably shouldn't have done. But I also think that maybe the, the Giants should try not being six and ten. Like if you if want to talk about competitive were, integrity, let's talk about a six and ten team in the playoffs. If there was a, a congressional investigation into what happened, do you think that it would air in prime time because of the NFC East television markets? It absolutely would. That's a great point. That is an amazing point. It would air on Sunday Night Football. Kornacki would host. Oh, now I kind of want this, but no, Congress yeah. has better things to do. Anyway do that um all right let's get to hurry up let's get hurry up out of this game all right now it's time for the hurry up best of the rest we're only going to do games with playoff teams bucks versus falcons nora bucks win antonio brown reaches his contractual bonus language gets a few hundred thousand bucks learn anything i am implementing a sort of swear jar for the football universe writ large and there's two things one is being just antonio brown hype uh let's leave it be the other one is going to be congratulating the really any sports league on overcoming the adversity of the coronavirus season anytime someone catches themselves doing either of those things it's going in the swear jar I agree with you. Uh, Seahawks 49ers, David Moore reaches his contractual incentive. This is a big Sunday for receivers getting money. Big contractual incentive Sunday. It's, yeah, it comes. We should call this Green Sunday. Because, you hey, know, they call quick. Monday Black Monday. It's Green Sunday. Oh, good idea. Um, 
Except the Eagles were green and they they screwed and everybody's mad about their Sunday. Um, the Niners are reported to potentially be moving on from Jimmy G if there's anything worth upgrading for. And it, what would you do with Jimmy G? I suppose I would move on. Although, I, 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 again, it depends on the market. It depends. Is a Matthew Stafford going to be available? Yeah. I, I I don't know. You're not going to get anybody in the middle of the first round. Because the Dolphins are going to take Zach Wilson. That was a joke for you guys. We'll call, we'll call a callback in the biz. Uh, Chargers versus Chiefs. Justin Herbert puts on a show. The Chiefs don't really care. Learn anything? Anthony Lynn became Mr. Analytics today. Very exciting. I didn't. I. I. I heard. I missed what you said, and I thought you said Anthony Lynn became Mr. Marvelous or something. And you know what? Maybe both. Analytics, but yeah, marvelous as well. He's ever back. heard of it? As as our buddy Bill Barnwell said, uh, it's like eating the the celery after eating all the wings. It's just too late for Anthony Lynn. Sorry, buddy. All right, listener question. We've got two. Number one is from Drumroll, please. As I first of all, number one is actually a guy named Kush who kept tweeting at us that the uh, Dolphins should draft Zach Wilson. That's what I'm talking about with narrative. It's just. Fans are very angry right now. All right. Yeah, but maybe that's Zach Wilson's burner. It is. All right. Could you imagine if Zach Wilson... Why would Zach Wilson want to go compete? Maybe he loves Brian Flores. Maybe he listens to this podcast and knows what we think of their infrastructure. You know, you don't know who listens to this podcast until you say something negative about them, and then you learn very quickly who listens to this podcast. That's all I'll say about the lay of the land in football. All right, Kyle Hansen says, after some discouraging performances, is it realistic to, to think that Tampa Bay is the only non-one or two seed who can win the Super Bowl? Great question, Kyle. Nora, start us off. Well, you think the Ravens can win the Super Bowl. Yeah, of course I can. I, of course I do. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm, w- let's go through it as, a, as an exercise. Do you see anybody? Because sure. I do. I, th- I, think that, I think that there's, I think this is so jumbled together that I don't, I think there's a bunch of teams who can. So you, you start and, I, and I'll, I'll go from there. So I don't, so the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC, one and two seeds don't count. Mm-hmm. The Steelers, in the spirit of this question, I no. think it's a no. Of course, anybody it's a, it's can. It's a no. I'm sorry. Fluky it's a no. stuff can happen, but it's a no. Uh, the Titans to me are also a no. The Ravens are yes. Not I'm not as high on them as you are, but I I do think that they it's possible. The Browns are a no. The Colts are an the Colts are a no. The Colts are a no. Although I just I I I feel like wow, for no some reason I feel the like trigger. you want to pull they the have the like Colts. they have verve. Um, okay, Jonathan Taylor. I don't know. Uh, so the Packers and the Saints in the NFC don't count. The Seahawks, I do think, could win the Super Bowl. Um, the Washington football team, I do not believe, can win the Super Bowl. The Buccaneers, sure, can win the Super Bowl. The Rams can't win the Super Bowl because of the thumb. And the Bears cannot win the Super Bowl. So I, the Seahawks, Seahawks and the Ravens are the other teams that I'm putting in that conversation. Okay, so... Chiefs and the Bills and the Ravens. I don't think that the Steelers can do it. I don't think that the Titans can do it. Okay. NFC. Packers, Saints. Seattle for me. Tampa Bay. 
So four teams in the NFC, three teams in the NFC. For me, seven teams can win the Super Bowl. Uh, can can Tampa Bay actually win it? Like, can t- if Tampa Bay played Kansas City, would you think about picking Tampa Bay? I would. I Kansas City all the way for me in that. In some ways, I'm not sure that I. I if I were formulating this question, I'll put it this way: I certainly wouldn't have started it with are the Buccaneers the wow. only non one or two seed that can do this? Like I would Kyle Hansen just catching a stray here. <laughs> we love you, Kyle. Um, <laughs> that's how you find out someone listens to the podcast is if you say something negative about their listener question that they submitted because they already listened to the podcast. I love the question. Uh, I answer a good question too, but if, <laughs> for me it would be, is there any team other than the Seahawks or the Ravens? Yeah. Before it would be, is there any team other than the Buccaneers? But I think, that, I think there's, just, there's just a Tampa Bay, there's a Tom Brady thing in everyone's mind. It's lodged in yes. our brains that we cannot count out Tom Brady. He's he's eligible to win the Super Bowl in no matter the situation. And I think that's reasonable. All right. Uh, very quickly, let's do this. Uh, Capitan's Log, I think, is, is the name here. Um, he said, are we counting digs to Buffalo? as the biggest win-win deal in recent NFL history. Now, what he refers to is the fact that the Bills sent a first-round pick to Minnesota for Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is one of the best players in football this year, and the Vikings got Justin Jefferson, one of the best rookie receivers in NFL history and the best rookie receiver in Minnesota since Randy Moss. Uh, Yes, it's on the short list. I would say that Rivers and Eli Manning, that trade was a win-win. I would also say, going back slightly further, obviously I, Rivers and, and, and Manning count because one of those guys is still in the NFL. Uh, I would also say that the Michael Vick for Danian Tomlinson trade was a win-win during the draft. Also, San Diego got Drew Brees in that, and they kind of, nobody won a Super Bowl from that. Right. So that's that's more of the Chargers' fault. Um, and yeah, both those, by the way, all both of those trades are linked by the fact that it was the Chargers and then obviously Breeze got replaced by, by Rivers. Um, so yes, I think it, it is on the short list of, of win-win trades. Eh, Nora? Yeah, definitely. The other, it's hard to compete with quarterback, quarterback win-win. So I would go Rivers Manning, but short list. Stevon Diggs is so unbelievably good. And I, I just, I don't know if we talked enough about him on this podcast, but uh, we will at some point because he's, he's going to make some plays in the playoffs. All right. We're going to close it out. We're going to tell you the schedule this week. So it's a little bit different. Uh, late Monday, early Tuesday, special roundtable with Cole, Ryan Shazier, and Kalen Jones. I'm going to hop on that to give reaction, quick reaction to uh, the Black Monday coach firings. So listen to me there, but it's going to be a great show with Cole, Ryan, and Kalen. Wednesday, Chris Vernon and Warren Sharp are here. Sharp is back on Thursday with Joe House. And then my schedule is a little different. I'm going to have a podcast on Saturday. It's going to be a live show with myself and Ryan Rosillo after the final wild card game. So I'm going to be on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Nora comes back. We do this podcast again. That's also live after the wild card game. It's going to be awesome. Nora, are you ready to go live? We're going to do it live. We're going to do it live. It's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. I've actually never done a live show like this. Um, and to do it with Ryan on Saturday and then Nora on Sunday is going to be really, really fun. Uh, two great podcasts. And and we'll see you then. This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs>